Samuel chapter 4 today, we're going to walk through and see that our God hears what we truly want. Our God hears what we truly want. If you haven't been with us, we like to go through books of the Bible verse by verse, and we've been in 1 Samuel now for a few weeks. The book of 1 Samuel comes at a time where the the judges of Israel, they didn't have a king at this time, they had judges that would lead God's people. And this, this time of the judges was coming to an end. And the people of Israel wanted a king. And the reason that they wanted a king was because that's what everybody else was doing and that was cool. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations and that's not a good thing. They were supposed to have God as their king with these others who would help lead but they wanted to be like the rest of the world. Instead of being a light to the world as an example, they want to follow along. At this time, Israel was quite evil. Their leaders were evil. And the Lord is, is, is making a change in the nation of Israel. He's going he's to move on from the old high priest to a new priest. Going to move from the, the judges and eventually into having a king because the Lord says, even though that is not how it should be, I'm going to give you a king and the many kings and these kings are going to be evil. And so in chapter 1, we saw the birth of Samuel. We saw this woman, Hannah, who was unable to have children, but she faithfully, continually served the Lord and went to him crying and praying and saying, Lord, if you would give me a child, I will give him back to you. And the Lord answered her prayer and gave her Samuel. Samuel was given over to the Lord, and he was given to Eli the high priest to serve at the temple. That was the deal. In chapter 2, we read Hannah's prayer together and learned a lot about how we should pray and who God is. We then moved from hearing a lot about Samuel, just these little, little whispers throughout the text of hope that God was doing something great. But the main focus was the high priest Eli and his worthless sons, as the text says. And even though Eli ended up rebuking his sons, he, he didn't really do it well. He didn't do it early enough, and they continued in their sin. They were priests at the church or the temple tabernacle. And they would form, perform all kinds of evil deeds. And Eli let them get away with it. So then the Lord says that he will reject Eli's house, that their family would be destroyed, and the leadership would pass to someone else. In chapter 3, we saw the, the calling of Samuel where he's now not, not a young child anymore, but a young boy, and the, the Lord calls out to him. And at first, he doesn't really hear the Lord because he's never heard the Lord like that. He didn't know the Lord yet. But on the third time, he finally, with the advice of Eli, heard from the Lord. And he had to deliver a message to Eli. He had to deliver the message to this guy who's been mentoring him, this high priest, that the Lord was going to destroy his family and bring on judgment on Israel. But what we saw is through that judgment, the fact that the Lord was going to fulfill his word, that meant that there was a change coming and hope was coming. 
And that leads us into chapter 4, where we're going to be today. Follow along with me silently as I read through the text, and then we'll walk through it verse by verse and see what the Lord may have for us. Some time has passed. Samuel is now older. Eli is older. Listen to the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Verse 3, And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a god has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. He said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news and answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. 
As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Now, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth and her pains, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said, do not be afraid for you have borne a son, but she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. May God bless the reading of his word. Maybe one of the darkest chapters in Scripture. Very dark. Time has, has passed. As Samuel's gotten older, now Eli's gotten older, and we've had whispers of hope, and now it seems like there are dark days for God's people. These Philistines come in. These are a sea people that were to the west of Israel. They actually battled quite a bit with Israel in the time of the judges. You'll remember Samson's story, many of you, where he killed many of them with the roof falling in, with his great strength the Lord had given. These Philistines were continually attacking God's people. And in this passage, I want you to see the heaviness and I want you to see the darkness that is here. And I hope to still show you that there is hope in this passage. So let's walk through it and see what's here for us. In verse 1, it says that the word of the Lord, or the word of Samuel, which is the word of the Lord because Samuel now speaks on behalf of God, it went to all of Israel. Everyone is, is, is hearing now from Samuel and hearing from the Lord, but something's wrong. These Philistines have come, and in verse 1, this battle breaks out. And they encamped in this other town, Ebenezer, and they're coming for the attack. And verse 2 says that they drew up this line against Israel, and now you would think, well, we've got Samuel, and so now everything's going to be okay. We're not going to lose battles anymore. But they go to battle. Look what the text says in verse 2. Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Wait, I, I, I thought better days were coming. I thought we have Samuel now. How could we lose? You see, the sin of Israel, more has to be done. More transition has to take place. And the Lord needs to reveal more of their hearts. Notice in verse 3, they, they come back after their, their slaughter. They don't get it. And watch what the leaders, watch what the elders say. This is, this is so remarkable. Verse 3, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? See, they understand that God is in control. 
They understand that the Lord is sovereign, and it, is, it would be he that would decide whether they win or lose, and they go, wait a minute, what has happened? The Lord has come up against us. They should have sat on that question a little longer. They, they should have sat there a while longer and said, what is going on that the Lord would come against us? But they didn't. They didn't wait. Look what they said. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh so that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Why would they think that? You can see in your notes, I wrote a little bit for you about the Ark of the Covenant. We had a handout last week, many of you got. There were some extras this week as well about the Ark of the Covenant for you to take home. This Ark, many of us, when we think of the Ark of the Covenant, some of you think about Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, you do. Most of our theology comes from movies and other things. This was given to the nation of Israel. They were to build this Ark this wooden chest covered in gold was to be kept in the, the Holy of Holies, the, the place of God's uh, dwelling in, this, in the tent or the, the tabernacle. Inside it had the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff and some, some manna in a jar or pot. On top of it, it has these angels, these two cherubim that are gold as well, and, and that's called the mercy seat. The top of it would be the mercy seat. And when the high priest would make the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins for God's people, he would splatter blood all over that. It's the mercy seat. This is to show the very presence of God with his people. So I think that the elders of Israel were probably thinking about different passages or different times in the history of Israel with the Ark of the Covenant, like in Joshua 3 and 4 or in Joshua 6. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Joshua, when they were crossing over the river, they had the ark, and as soon as their feet stepped in, those who were carrying the, the ark of the covenant, the, 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 the river stopped. Or the, the battle of Jericho. Some of you are familiar with Jericho. As they march around Jericho, they have the ark of the covenant as well with them. Or Numbers 10, verses 33 through 36 say this. Speaking about a, a time with the ark. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them and the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp and whenever the ark set out Moses said arise O Lord and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you and when it rested he said return O Lord to the ten thousand thousands of Israel see there was a time that even Moses said hey you've got the ark let the enemies flee and that's what they were thinking oh yeah we we got we got beat round one but we're going to get the ark and we're coming friends they're thinking about the wrong passages they were thinking about the wrong passages see the elders logic seems to be something like this if we go get the ark then the Lord has to help us. See, if we go get the ark, the Lord's name's on the line. His name's at stake, his glory, his honor. We're going to have the ark and he'll answer us. He will be with us and, we'll, and our enemies will be defeated. 
They should have been thinking about passages like Deuteronomy 28. Or Leviticus 26, 14 through 20. Listen to what this says. The Lord says, But if you will not listen to me, and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. They should have been thinking about how they did not truly follow the Lord. How they were disobeying God and not listening to his word when it came. Instead, they're wanting all the benefits of God. He's going to be with us. He's going to take care of everything, but they don't want to follow God himself. They don't want God. They want the stuff God gives. And we do the same. There's many times that we just follow after God because we want something that he gives and we don't want him. So the elders, instead of dwelling upon that to look and see that they need to repent and follow God, seek after God, they say, let's get our little religious lucky rabbit's foot, as one commentator put it. And so the people, verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. This should have been a, a dead giveaway. And the two sons of Eli, we've already heard about them. They're the ones coming with the ark. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Hophni and Phinehas. Right away, if you have spiritual eyes, they start coming. You'd go, oh, this ain't going to turn out good. I'm sick today. I can't go to battle. But watch how Israel responds. Instead of seeing that they're being led by unholy, ungodly people, instead of seeing that they as a nation are not following the Lord their God. Verse 5, as soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so the earth resounded. Yes! Oh, the ark's here! We're going to win! We're going to win! It shows us that just because you're excited doesn't mean you know God. Just because you listen to music and you raise your hands and you think you're excited about things, that doesn't mean you know God and you are living a holy life. Your excitement does not show holiness. It's not that it's wrong to be excited and our affections to be towards God. In fact, he does that. But there are way too many people today that have an emotional experience and have never experienced the Holy Spirit of God. They're excited. They're shouting. And it's so loud 
That when the Philistines in verse 6, when they heard the noise, they were like, oh, what is going on over there? We just wallop them. And they're shouting over there, what is going on in the camp of the Hebrews? That, that term Hebrews comes all the way back to Abraham, those who descended from Abraham. And when they learned, uh-oh, the ark, oh, they found out. They had a little spy go over and hang out or something, and they found out. And then they become afraid in verse 7, and they say, a god has come into the camp. See, for them, they're idols and things. They think it's an idol. And so they're thinking, oh, God's now there because they have their idol they don't understand what it means to worship God. And so they're going, oh, woe to us. We're in trouble. Nothing's like this has ever happened to us before. Little do they know they're fine because God is not among those people. God is not among Israel there. Woe to us, verse 8, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They don't even know. <laughs> one God. Not many gods for the nation of Israel. It's one God. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians. See, God's fame has gone throughout everywhere. See, if you don't know that about God, his agenda is that his glory would be known all around the earth. All glory be to Christ, to be to our God. And so he even says when he's doing that in Egypt, back in Exodus, that's why I'm doing this, for my name's sake. And his name got out. Now, they didn't quite have everything because they got with them every sort of plague in the wilderness. That's not exactly. So they heard part of the story. They don't have full truth. But he did strike them with the plagues. And so they're going, oh, man, we're in trouble now. So the only thing they can do, well, verse 9, take courage and be men. Oh, Philistines, we don't want to be slaves to them as we've made them our slaves. We don't want, them, we don't want to be slaves to them. So let's do our best. And so right here, when you're reading through the text the first time, you're going, oh, yeah, they've got the ark. Now they're in trouble. Philistines are in trouble. Verse 10 just should blow our minds. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. What? Typo? And they fled every man to his tent or his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. Now we have the Ark of the Covenant. We've got our lucky religious rabbit's foot and we lost more. Over four times as many, I think. And then, to make it worse, the Ark of God was captured. And the two sons, what happened to them? They died. What did the Lord say was going to happen to them? The Lord's word always comes true. So now, you have this, this guy from the tribe of Benjamin. He leaves that day to head to Shiloh. Commentators say this is going to be something like, like 22 miles. It's like a mar- like the first marathon or a marathon or something going on here in the Bible. Close to it, I guess. But he takes off. But when he, on the same day, with his clothes torn and dirt on his head, which are signs of, of just defeat and, and sorrow, Usually, hopefully, repentance, but just sorrow. This has happened. And when he arrived, verse 13, Eli, the high priest, is sitting by his seat. He's on the road, and he's watching. What's it say? His heart trembled for the ark of God. He's like, oh, my evil sons came, or they went with them. I'm, I'm worried. Because remember, there were some parts about Eli that were encouraging, and some not so much. He's trembling about the ark of God. When the man comes into the city and told the news, the city cries out, and Eli, Eli heard it. What's the uproar? And the man goes over to Eli. 
Now the text wants to help us here to get just kind of picture this in verse 15. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. Remember, he was growing blinder and blinder. And now we're seeing just not even any vision any longer. Part of that transition to Samuel. The man said in verse 16 to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, well, how did it go, my son? One of those I feel like he probably... How'd it go? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark has been captured. Could there be anything worse for Eli? Notice what 18 says. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. <laughs> for the man was old and heavy, and he judged Israel for 40 years. The Bible, I love how it doesn't shy away from the details. Are you seeing that? He's sitting there, he can't see. Come here, my son, tell me, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. We got defeated. Many have died. Your sons are dead. The ark is gone. It's like he has a heart attack, something happens, and he just falls over, and he's dead, and it's gruesome, and it's terrible. And in that, the old regime is dying. Which God said would happen. It was part of his judgment on them. It doesn't stop there. 19. Now his daughter-in-law and his wife the wife of Phineas was pregnant, about to give birth. And so when she hears this news that the ark was captured and her father was dead and her husband's dead, she goes into labor. So much stress and evil, she goes. And look, notice what it says in 20, about the time of her death. She's going to die too. You go away from God, it brings death. Spiritually, physically, it brings death, friends. And the women who were by her side tried to encourage her. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You have a son. She doesn't even answer. She doesn't pay attention. The things that normally you would rejoice about, our marriage, our kids, grandkids, beautiful, great things. Ultimately, when we go against God and things are so evil, we can't even rejoice about those things anymore. And we shouldn't when it comes to being this far from God. And she named the child Ichabod. Many of you have heard that from the Headless Horseman. How about that name? Where is the glory would be the, the best translation probably. So, but she helps explain this to us. She said, the glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she repeats, watch, and whenever you see something repeated in scripture that's making a point, the last verse of the chapter, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Heavy. In your worship guide, I have some things I want to share with you as we wind down. 
A lot of things that we can pull from this text. Watching the elders throughout this thing where they have their plans. We're going to take the ark and we're going to go instead of seeking the Lord. And let me encourage you, friends, that when you have your plans and you, you have your plans that are apart from God's blessing and, his, and seeking his plan, it will backfire. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. So I have in here just five ways, five things that's just practical of examples of how plans or decisions we make without seeking God first. Here's what some of you are really good at. Some of you are awesome about making plans and then telling God that he should bless that. This is what I'm doing, God. Come on, come with me. Hey, you're not moving fast enough. Oh, I don't like how this is working. That is a lot of us struggle with that. Here are some examples. There's many more than this. Here are some examples. Making plans and then saying, God, bless this. Who are you dating or who do you want to marry? Are you praying about that? Are you comparing this person to the scriptures? Are you seeking wise counsel? The job you decide to take, perhaps. A move you decide to make. A ministry you want to do as an individual, or maybe the whole church wants to do one. Or even what your day should look like. Do you seek the Lord first? Guide me by your spirit and by your word. Now there's a side to, ultimately, the, the will of God is, is being holy. Walking in step with his spirit. Not living in unrepentant sin. And so there's one, one theologian, Augustine or Augustine, says something similar to, well, well, be holy, follow Christ, be holy, and what we say in our house, and do what you want. Well, do what you want as long as it lines up with God's word, but be holy, walk in step with God's spirit. And so some de decisions, some of you freak out about, I don't know, I want the coffee, and I think I want milk, <sighs> but does God want me to have milk? We're looking at a vehicle. The red one's nice. But does God want me to drive the blue one? The VIN number has sevens in it. The other one has sixes. I'm not sure I should do that. That's not what we're talking about, y'all. An example would be the red one puts me in $20,000 worth of debt. The blue one I can pay for you might have some insight from Scripture on which one you should go for. <laughs> Things like that. Don't make decisions and then try to bring God along on what you've decided. Eight takeaways from the passage. That was, that was a little bonus there. Eight takeaways from the passage. From what, throughout this time, here's what, we, here's what I want to encourage you with. When trials and difficulties come, like we see where they're defeated, be slow and compare your life carefully to Scripture when it comes. They should have been slow. The elders should have been slow when they were defeated and said, what is going on here? Be slow and compare your life carefully to Scripture. Number two, takeaway. Even in their defeat, even in their destruction, notice that they had said, it is God who is active. God is providentially working in everything, including the bad things that are going on. He is providentially working to make sure that if you're a follower of Jesus, those bad things are used for your good and his glory. Whatever comes from the hand of the Lord, we say, come what may, and he says, I will be with you and get you through this, whatever that is. Don't have the mentality of doing what you want first and then asking God to bless it. 
One commentator says this about the whole passage, and I really liked it. He says, the ark is captured because the glory of God had departed, not that the glory of God departed because the ark had been captured. God already left them, so the ark doesn't matter at that point. Be careful there. Has God left the church? Now, Jesus says, I will build my church universal. Gates of hell will not prevail. But how many churches should have Ichabod over the door? Because the glory of God has left. You see that in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where Jesus goes and he says, if you do not repent, church, I will take the lampstand from you. That's what that is. No longer a church. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. You're not church. If you do not follow the Bible, period. Another thing to consider, number five, do you want God or the things that God can give you? Hey, you should become a Christian. It'll really help your life. Oh, you're having job problems? Oh, hey, come, come be a Christian. Then your job will get better. Oh, you're having marriage trouble? Become a Christian, then your marriage will get better. You know what? That's not guaranteed, by the way. You might become a Christian, and through persecution, you get fired from your job. You might become a Christian, and your spouse leave you because you became a Christian. It is not about what God can give you. It is about God giving you himself. Be careful. Don't let that slip in. Because even after we have become believers, we can still at times be more interested in what God's going to do. Does he do things and bless? Absolutely, but that's not the main point. He is the main point. Same thing with heaven. I want to go to heaven because I just don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven because I can't wait to be with my mom or my dad or my grandparents. I want to walk those streets of gold. If you don't want to walk those streets of gold with Jesus, you're not going to be there. You know why? Because that means you don't love him above everything else. It's about God. We see that they don't get that here. You exist for God. God doesn't exist for you. You exist to glorify God and do what he says. You don't exist for him to do that with you. Now, does he graciously do something? Yes, but that's not the point. In this passage, watch this. God's acts of judgment are actually acts of grace for his people. This act of judgment is fulfilling what he said would happen so that the evil regime would be wiped out and we can start a new chapter. That is his judgment coming on them so that Samuel can come and we can begin a new chapter. And the last one, which we said earlier, enthusiasm does not replace truth or holiness. Those are some things for you to meditate on, but let me end with one great hope in this passage or that we can get from this passage. One commentator says this. What we see throughout the rest of Scripture, this is one chapter. We can't just stay there. We've got to go big, right? All of chapter, biblical theology. God fixes the Ichabod situation with Emmanuel, God with us. The glory of the Lord has departed. Guess what? The glory of the Lord comes back with Jesus. The great Emmanuel, God with us. And God is working in ways that look like defeat, but they're actually victories. And you want to know the greatest one of those of all? The cross. Looked like a defeat. The Son of God is dead. God loses. No, he doesn't. That was the plan before the foundations of the world. And it's the only way for us to be reconciled to God and have victory in Christ, not because we're great, but because he's great.
not because we're righteous, but because he's righteous and he gives it to us as a gift. And so friends, if you're here, we have some guests today and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about the righteousness of Jesus. Talk with us today about trusting in Jesus's death and resurrection, trusting in him, his work on your behalf so that you would have the righteousness of Jesus. And Christians who are already followers, don't forget the gospel and don't get too discouraged by such a dark chapter because it's only in the darkness that the light shines so bright. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We're thankful for this chapter of 1 Samuel. Lord, we're thankful that your presence now as, as those who are believers who have received the Spirit of God, your presence is within us. And that never leaves because of your grace. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the new life. Help us to learn from these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.